0: morning, everybody. It's good to be back. Proverbs four twenty to 27. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. You're always so generous and so good to us. I ask that you will always help us to stay on the straight path, to keep our eyes focused on you, not to turn to the left or the right, which has kind of a double meaning these days, but to keep us on the straight and narrow path towards you because you are our ultimate destination. Please just bless John as he delivers your words to us today And please let these words really stick in our hearts and stay there. Because as the proverb said, your words are life to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Faith. So, according to research, which I couldn't find an actual source, but this information was all over the internet, it's estimated... Adults today make upwards of 35,000 decisions per day. 35,000 decisions per day. There was one particular study from researchers at Cornell University, and they estimated 226.7 decisions per day on food alone that humans make. Which speaks to probably a couple things. One, just the utter abundance that we have in our lives today. Um, And two, the complexity of all of that. If you think about it, the many decisions around what you eat, what you wear, what you purchase, what you believe, the route you drive, the path your life takes, the time you spend, the words you say, the texts you type out the things you post on social media, there's a whole lot of decisions that go into a given day, and each of those decisions carry with it some level of consequence in each one of our lives. The decisions work together to shape the direction of your life, which then begs the question, what direction is that taking? Out of the 35,000 estimated decisions you make in a given day, what trajectory does that send the direction of your life on? Where is your life going? We'll enter the book of Proverbs, a series over these eight weeks that we are calling Learning Wisdom. It's a book that invites us to see, to learn, and to walk in the wisdom of, of God. Uh, Week one, I gave you a Tim Keller quote that said, you've heard of the meat of the word and the milk of the word, but Proverbs is really the hard candy of the word. It's something that requires meditation, contemplation, and, and kind of this slow intake into a life over a long period of time. And this wisdom In Scripture is a force that shapes our living, and we are invited to lean into it, listen to it, learn from it, as revealed in Scripture, and then ultimately in the Son of God, who is God's wisdom incarnate. And so we're looking at some of the major themes. Last week was words. Anthony taught on that, a hard-hitting sermon on the power of words, the character of words, the healing of words. And and today there's probably going to be less tears than Anthony brought about last week. Uh, And it's just simply direction for life. And through this book, there's a lot of different metaphors given. Even in this seven-verse section that Faith read for us, you see life is described as a path it's described as a way, it's described as a spring. And for today, as we look at direction, uh, I veered away week one from alliterated outline, and my wife Karen lovingly said, maybe stick to the alliteration. So we're going back to it. Uh, Typical direction for life, temptations in direction of life, and what it looks like to lean toward wisdom. See? So That's where we're heading. What's typical? Well, this wisdom from a father to a son is attempting to implement a new, normal way of operating and finding direction, making decisions, and building a life. There's a series of 10 speeches of a father to the son in the first 10 chapters of this book, and this is one of them. You see it introduced in verse 20. My son, be attentive to my Words by the father taking time to impart this wisdom to his son means that that isn't necessarily normal. Uh, it, it means that there's other options available to humans, and what the father is attempting to do is have intentionality around these speeches in these collection of proverbs, and it's not what most of us were given. Most of us were given something else we weren't given wisdom as a learned process intentionality in the shaping of our lives so what is typical for us well if you've been with us any amount of time you know that i really enjoy creating lists of stereotypes of people Uh, just kind of a mishmash personality profile and it often doesn't get the response I hope for. It bombs time after time after time. But as they say, if first you don't succeed, uh, keep on bombing. And so here's me sitting in my office for about six minutes going, what are the typical types of people? Uh, five of them, number one. There's the trailblazer. These are stereotypes of how we look for direction in our lives, how we seek after wisdom. Trailblazer. This is the person who is on their own. They have their machete in the jungle, and they uh, have not necessarily been handed down a whole lot of information, wisdom, direction in life, and so they are going to uh, take life by the horns, as they say, and do it on their own. Some of you have trailblazed your path. You weren't Given a whole lot of wisdom, you were kind of sort of on your own. And so you had to blaze a way on your own. Others, kind of the opposite of the trailblazer, is the little duckling. Uh, It is following the leader, if you've seen the videos, or in real life, ducks that imprint on uh, their mother or another animal, which is usually hilarious. You see them following a dog or a cat or something like that, but imprinting on what seems to be a good choice for a leader. And so you just kind of imprinted, emulated, and followed the path, really, of somebody else and didn't put a whole lot of thought into it until you go, oh, here I am. I followed the path that was set before me. Others are a uh, fish, kind of the go with the flow majority rules. You don't want to make a whole lot of ripples, stay under the surface, and just kind of go where the current tells you. Uh, I remember, I don't know if it was my dad that had the shirt, maybe it was my mom, uh, of, you know, there's a real old 80s Christian shirt with a bunch of fish, and there's like all the normal fish and the one Christian fish that's going against the current, uh, cool, um, but some just kind of a, a go with the flow, majority rules, not going to make a whole lot of ripples. Others um, are the, the lottery ball. It's just seemingly random. You are in this world and in this life, and you aren't entirely sure what's going on, and you're just pinging sort of everywhere. That resonates, Katie? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're just kind of waiting until it pops you out, and you're like, ah, here I am, and here I arrived. Or fifth, and finally, the ice cube. You are just frozen. There's too many decisions, there's too much to do, and so maybe the overwhelming emotion of your life is anxiety and fear. And so rather than blazing your own path, rather than going with the flow, rather than you just kind of go, Ooh, frozen. No direction, not sure what to do, fear, anxiety, worry. And like most of my uh, created lists, uh, it's probably a combination of all of those that make us up. Different seasons, different situations and circumstances and people where maybe there's a primary one for you, but depending on who you are, where you are, any one of those things can be true. And so the question is, what is Scripture leading us towards? What would the primary posture be? And I would say in looking at this passage and maybe Scripture as a whole, I'm going out on a limb to say that if there's one word that ought to describe our approach to life and direction, it's this, attentive. Attentive. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. He says, keep them within your heart. The posture for followers of God throughout Scripture is one that is paying attention to him, listening to him. And if there's anything that Proverbs teaches us about wisdom, it's that the typical default nature of the human heart is not necessarily that, attentiveness to God and his word. It is leaving life on auto or focusing solely on ourself. You know, it uses I, the word again and again of, of sluggard, kind of a lazy approach to life. But what you have in the Proverbs is this invitation and this call to be attentive, to be awake and aware to God's guidance, his provision, his direction for life. And it's not through a go-get-it-on-your-own. It's not simply by following the leader, per se. It's not being frozen in fear. It's not all random. It's listening to his voice in his world, with his word, with the collection of witnesses around. Pay attention, Scripture says, to your life, because there's a gift that each one of us individually have been given there. One of my all-time favorite quotes is this from Frederick Buchner, or Beekner, depending on tomato, tomato. Uh, he says this, Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery it is, in the boredom and the pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness, touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments and life itself is grace. Listen to your life. See it for the mystery it is. And the fact that all of it is grace. Why is attention needed? We see that that the typical response towards Forming direction in life isn't necessarily attentiveness to God. And so why is there this call towards attentiveness? It's because there's temptations that derail our lives that are seemingly infinite. There's a force, an anti-wisdom type force. We talked about Star Wars in week one. Uh, But there's this force in the world that wants to take life and the wisdom of God and derail it towards self towards sin, towards the flesh. The father in chapter 4 is pushing towards the positive. He's setting up a trajectory. He's he's trying to give a go do these kinds of things, not not simply be aware and avoid all these other things. Chapter 5, if you want to read it, is this warning against the adulterous woman uh, that is a theme throughout Proverbs. And so there's a positive and a negative within the book because there's temptations that abound. There's so many warnings and examples of the way in which our lives can be derailed by temptation. Again, throughout scripture, you see the forces described as the world, that is the operating system that is opposed to God. You see the flesh and the fact that within the human heart, there are tendencies and temptations that go away from God's word and his will in the world. And then finally you have the personified force of evil that is described as the devil and the spiritual forces that are at work. All of those combined create a whole slew of temptations that would derail a life off of the will and way of God. And so wisdom is aware of those realities and implements guardrails towards life and flourishing. Their signs, their signals, their warnings, and literally, like we have in our roads, they are guardrails to keep a life on track towards health, towards flourishing, towards wholeness, with God, in His kingdom. And so we need attentiveness to life, because typically what we're given is not wisdom from God. The temptations abound. to to derail it. And we see that within the text. There's vigilance required. It's never automatic. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance from it flow the springs of life. It reminded me this week of how necessary it is and can be uh, to keep your car in good order and check, right? I know some of you are overly cautious about that, that's fine. Others of you, you're like, what? Change the oil every 100,000 miles? When? What? Wheels are falling off. And it's funny, because for me, uh, maybe somewhere in between, I like to roll the dice a little bit. And I was told in the beginning of this year with my sweet minivan, they go, uh, you need new tires. They fixed a flat on it, and they go, you need new tires. This is the last time we're going to fix a flat on it. I was like, really? Okay. And then I got a nail in my tire like two months ago. And you know, it's very slow leak, very, very slow leak. (laughs) One pound of PSI every day. And I'm looking at my car going, like, they seem fine still. But I also know they are going to want me to buy new tires. But then something came up, and that is that this team is going to the Philippines, and I'm like, do I risk it? And it's just been in the back of my mind. I go to my father-in-law's house once, twice a week, and I'm like, ah, his air compressor's out there, I gotta fill up the lawnmower tires anyway, just yeah, a couple, 10 PSI, we're good. <laughs> and so finally, it's like the Philippines trip comes, and I'm like, all right, fine, gotta buy tires. Uh, and and there's, this story's going nowhere other than the fact that I did the right thing, and I bought tires, and we're good to go. <laughs> later, Uh, thank you Costco, yeah? But the reason, the reason I got new tires is not because my kids are important enough for new tires, uh, but because Beth, Anthony, Michaela, Bree, and Jeff going down to the Philippines, we gotta make that happen, so. But in a similar way, there's signals within our life and attention needs to be paid, otherwise there's going to be consequences. I mean, how many of us, from not paying attention to our lives, have experienced the proverbial kind of blowout or have had life go off the rails? And it's rarely ever one single thing that does it, right? It's a culmination that often begins in not keeping our heart with all vigilance. In not paying attention to the words of God, not placing ourselves within a community of witnesses, it it begins with this process of ignoring the clear commands and warnings of Scripture which lead to going off the rails. We've experienced ourselves, we've seen others that we know and love. And so all the time in Proverbs and all throughout scripture, there's this like, hey, watch out because there really are two paths that you can be on in life. Uh, Theologians call this a two-path theology. There's a direction towards what is good and true and beautiful, which uh, brings about life and wholeness and flourishing. And there's those other paths that bring about death, destruction, and dehumanization. Tremper Longman, who's a really excellent Old Testament theologian says this, the father is vitally concerned to keep his son moving on the right path in his life. In many ways, this discourse is an admonition like the previous one. It does not mention God explicitly, but by invoking the two-path theology, it does so implicitly, since the father's path is one that is associated with God. The admonition to the son here is to focus All of his energies on staying on the right path and avoiding the evil path. Again, this underlines the idea that wisdom entails a lifetime of work and not a single decision. And that kind of teaching reminds me of somebody else who said this in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 13. It's Jesus. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives the juxtaposition of a house that is built on the rock, of hearing the sayings of Jesus and doing them, and a house that is built on the sand. And so look at your life and think for a moment, what has been typical for you? in finding direction, in making decisions? What temptations have there been either lived into or resisted? And then we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to live toward wisdom? How do we find, how do we sense, how do we apply God's wisdom for life's direction today? Well, what is hinted at in Proverbs is fully revealed in Jesus. Wisdom takes on flesh. Wisdom becomes a person. And what Jesus teaches and shows and invites us into is a good life is found in relation to the one true God. And that true God is not hard to find. He's not asking that we figure out some secret code. He doesn't give us some difficult-to-solve brain-teaser kind of puzzle. Anybody that has kids, they're like, Hey, I got this thing at the fair, these two nails that are intertwined together. Figure that out, Dad. And you just are there looking and feeling like a complete idiot. And you're going, I can't get in. It's this. That's not (laughs) what God does. He reveals himself in Christ and invites us to relationship with him with one another and leads us towards life. And the prerequisite for that process is one word, it's faith. That is, it's trusting in him, giving him our yes in every single aspect of life. That's where the good life is found according to scripture, according to Jesus. It is one time and all the rest of our lives giving Jesus our yes. I will trust I will follow, I will obey, I will f- walk in your ways. That's all he requires. And then from that, there's this life built on relationship that shapes the micro moments and the multitude of big decisions that have to be made. But when we pay attention, to him, When we are aware of his word, of his voice, and slowing down in life, something happens. We begin to move from being trapped, from being perpetually bent in on ourselves, from feeling stuck to a relationship, to, to having an outward focus, not just simply on ourselves, but on those that are around us in the world we live in, and towards being free. And all of life is wrapped up in this process. It's not simply, well, it'll help your mind. Oh, it'll give you some theology. Oh, it'll change a few emotions. Or, oh, it'll give you some words. But it's an all-of-life thing that is wrapped up in relationship with him. You see that in Proverbs 4, 20 through 27. Derek Kidner puts it this way. He says, a major part of godliness lies in dogged attentiveness to familiar truths. So a kind of medical inspection follows in which one's state of readiness in the various realms symbolized by the heart, the mouth, the eyes, and the feet comes under review. I don't know about you, but hearing that and reading this is a little, for me, intimidating. Really, all of life, all my words, all my thoughts All my emotions, all my decisions, yes. Which can be like, whee, gives you the wiggles. (laughs) Or, again, if we're starting with that posture of faith and we're laying our yes down with Jesus, we're in the best of hands. We're in the greatest of care. And he's though it may go against our flinch, it it may, again, when you're fighting temptation, there is a conflict that is happening there. He's always leading us towards freedom and life. And that is a perpetual process. And so how do we discern the best direction for life? The age-old question, what is God's will for our life? It isn't complicated, but it is all-inclusive. So it's not complicated in that if you look and do a search for the will of God in Scripture, it's a handful of verses in the New Testament. First Thessalonians, not on the screen, just thinking off the top of the dome here. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay. Uh, Paul talks to Timothy and to the church in Corinth uh, to flee sexual immorality, and this is the will of God in Christ for you? Okay. He doesn't go, this is the will of God, that you go to this school and marry this person and buy this house and drive this car. And No. The will of God as mapped out in Scripture, is that you obey what he has given you and me in his word, and that in that, life just simply flows from it. But all of who we are, our thinking, our emoting, our doing, all of that is caught up in it. And and again, I don't know necessarily each one of your personalities, how you respond to that. But the good news is that can be incredibly freeing. Bethany Jenkins, she says it this way, the way of freedom isn't found in grasping for God's omniscience, that is, knowing everything that God knows, having all the answers, but in grasping for God's hand. This freedom, though, isn't synonymous with safety. In fact, sometimes it's risky. And so he leads us towards life with his presence, with his help, with his people. And and I want to submit to you maybe a uh, 5 step process to go with our five personality types of what it looks like to discern God's direction for a life. Step one is this, uh, surrender. It's simply the way of trust. Are these on the screen? Yeah. So, surrendering. Life is continually a process of surrendering. It's a way of trust, of taking where, uh, taking an analysis and in, in recognizing where our jaws are clenched, where our fists are closed, And surrendering yet again to God. I mean, this is uh, step one of AA and two, on repeat, again and again and again. We're powerless, uh, and we're submitting ourselves to a higher power. We're surrendering. That this life is not our own, but it belongs to God. Again and again and again, we surrender. Actively, mentally, verbally. It's worship. The words that we sing, surrendering. And then from there, we ask. That is, we pray. We pray. If there's a force in this world that is Jesus, his wisdom and he is knowable, then we communicate with him. James says so much in his first chapter of his little epistle in the New Testament. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. So you need direction in life, ask God for direction in life. Do so in faith in that posture of surrender. But then there's a process of us, me, I'm talking to myself, of needing to shut up. If Anthony was here, he'd say amen right at that moment, and we'd laugh because he made fun of me, and ah, isn't that great? Um, but we would listen. We would shut up eventually and listen to the Lord. How does the Lord speak? Well, he speaks to us within our hearts, and that's always in alignment with his word, I've talked about this before, but the crazy stories I could tell you about people who said, God told me to do something. And you're like, I don't think so. One true story of a guy who literally said to my face with all seriousness that God told him to leave his wife for the secretary. And I'm going, you can't make that stuff up. And there's a verse for that. That's called adultery, and there's a verse for that. Don't commit adultery. So God would never tell us to do something that is outside of his written and given word and will. Most of life is not that kind of stuff. It's smaller, or it's a little more vague. Who do I marry? What college do I go to? What job do I take? What do I do with these kids? But we listen We listen and God has revealed himself in his word and he's revealed himself in his world. Another soapbox I get on from time to time is that we need to get outside and observe and be attentive to the world that God has created and how he's brought order out of the chaos and holds it all in the palm of his hands. I've been reflecting uh, over the last few weeks on this Wendell Berry poem called The Peace of Wild Things. He says, when despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light for a time. I rest in the grace of the world and am free. He's a Christian writing from a Christian perspective. This is what Jesus tells us to do in Matthew chapter six. Five six six consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. And do what in response to all that? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. When is the last time you were literally outside, literally in the wilderness, listening and attentive to God's voice? If you want homework this week, go do a lap around Watson Lake, four and a half miles, four to 500 feet of vertical climb, and at some point, just take a moment, sit in those dells, and look at it and go, wow, it's all going to be okay. Because he holds it all in the palm of his hands. We listen. Then, it's not simply an individual project to go back to the list. We need to consult. Because life is never meant to be an individual project. Here you have wisdom from a father to the son. And the father's not saying, hey, son, go get a magic eight ball, shake it up, and then figure your way out through this thing. There is a process of discipleship and community that is all throughout the Scripture. And I think out of anything in this life, this is where we miss out today because we're so hyper-individually focused. And so we want something, so we, we go for it. And then if it doesn't go well, we blame everybody else, but we didn't necessarily consult with anybody in the first place. Proverbs talks about a wisdom in a multitude of counselors. That we need to consult wise voices in our lives in understanding and discerning the will of God, and then finally, do something. There's a book by Kevin DeYoung, "Just Do Something" is the title, uh, and he talks about not seeking after. He calls them liver shivers, which I think is some sort of term, some sort of like ah. Got a burning in my bosom, that must be the Lord. Um, But then you just simply go and do something. So we surrender, we ask, we listen, we consult, and then we go. That's what Jesus brings us into and frees us for that begins with attention towards him. And that all of life becomes a posture of love towards him and neighbor response to him and witness in the world, and it shapes our many and our major moments in a beautiful and freeing way. The uh, early church father, Augustine, Augustine, depending on, again, tomato, tomato, he says this, love God and do whatever you will. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. Love God and do whatever you will. And you go, oh, uh, I remember years ago I used this, this saying and, and a guy came up and was like, I really don't like that quote. Like, okay, that's fine. You don't have to like any of the quotes at all. But his concern was that's just going to lead life off the rails. And I said, did you read the second part of the quote? Because it's about training our souls in love of God. And from that, if there's that surrendering, that asking, that listening, consulting, and going, that works together To not go against the will or way of God. And so we don't have to be trailblazer. We don't have to uh, be a duckling, fish, lottery ball, ice cube. But we're invited through Jesus to live a life in union with God, to lean on, learn from, depend on, soak in him, and let him shape the direction of our lives. And know that in that, sometimes it's going to go really well, Sometimes it won't. And there's a mystery behind all of that. Proverbs 16, 1 through 3 says as much. The plans of the heart belong to a man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. Isn't that true? Man, everything I want to do sounds right. But the Lord weighs the spirit. And then this, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be Established. And so you can be free to know God, resist temptation, be with his people, and follow him. To surrender, to ask, to listen, to consult, to go. And if you want a very brief testimony of my life, that's in a lot of ways bennett. People ask, well, how do you know that you're in the will of God? And I go, I don't. I'm trying to listen and do these things and see how he shows up. So for me, like high school, first, what do I do with my life? And I'm like, oh, maybe I go to NAU. There was a college fair. Yeah, it seems there was one thought, oh, I could be a business executive at Subaru. <laughs> that sounds good. Get a business degree. <laughs> or, oh, the Yavapai College has an agrarian plan, an agrarian degree Mowing lawns would be cool, too. Oh, the Air Force. And so you know what I did? I went and talked to this youth pastor called Anthony Garcia. That was his name. He's in the Philippines. And I asked Anthony, what should I do? Because I feel like I either need to really get on the college train and start doing all of that stuff, or I just keep volunteering at this church that needs help cleaning toilets. And you know what he told me? I was so mad, and I'm still mad at him. He said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You know exactly what you need to do. I do? No, I don't. That's why I'm here. You're supposed to tell me what to do. But he didn't do that. He didn't play God in my life. He just said, you know what to do. So I kept serving at that. that church, eventually got hired as a janitor. And in that time, I see a lady.
0: Whoa. Oh. Oh, man,
1: she really loves Jesus. She's cute, too. There's one problem. She's my youth leader. It's a true story. I'm a 17-year-old, senior in high school, and I go, Karen, that doll. woo wee and, and it was this deep sense of this girl loves Jesus and is serving him. I love Jesus, and I want to serve him. And so you know what I did? I went to this guy, Anthony Garcia. And I said, help me out. I think I'm in love with my leader, which I know is forbidden, and I can't date her. But what do I do with all these emotions? And it's either the best youth pastor move or the worst youth pastor move in all history. He said two things. Number one, he said, yeah, you don't want to let a good thing pass you up. Okay. Okay. So two, yes, you are not allowed to date, and you shall not be alone together, but you can, his words, tell her you think she's swell, and pray about it. (laughs) So you know what I did? That night, on the bus, two Six Flags, I positioned myself near Karen Ectol, and I say, at about 2 a.m. in the morning, Karen, I think you're swell. (laughs) And we should pray about it. And engraved in this very ring that Karen gave me, it says, you're swell. <laughs> now, fast forward a handful of years, and we had planted a church. It's 2016, and it seems good to, to partner with a guy and replant this church, Lumindeo, into restoration. I didn't plan on talking about this, and maybe I should. And it was the greatest answer to prayer. I talked to Anthony about it. I talked to other people about it. And the consensus was, it seems good. This seems like a really good thing. And in so many ways, it was, until for us, it wasn't. And led to one of the most difficult, prolonged seasons of pain that I've experienced in my life thinking that I was in the center of God's will and perhaps I was I don't know and so in 2019 after that all unfolded and we were released from that place we wanted to get as far away from this town as possible and it seemed good and right too and we go to New York City and we visit some friends in Boston and I go I can't live in Boston. (laughs) Just a clear moment of driving those streets, loved the town, could not live there. And a friend of ours, and I've told this story before, says, why don't you pray about starting another church? I said, I don't want to do that. I don't have the energy. I don't have the resources. I'm done, dude. And thought that could be a ticket out of life in terms of ministry and vocational, working at churches and doing all that kind of stuff. And this individual and a couple others said, Would you consider planting a church again? And so we went to Costa Rica and Anthony Garcia came along. <laughs> See a theme. And we talked and we prayed and a toucan showed up on the tree and we're like, ah, a toucan. It was very exciting. And he said, we'll move up there. We'll help. And I was like, there's no promise of anything for me, for us, that this would work, that people would show up. That." <sighs> and people go, well, how do you know you're supposed to start a church? And I go, I don't. We just did. And it seems like God has showed up, helped people, brought together a really neat family and process in that that's a snapshot of my life, which is coming for a particular perspective, and everybody's going to have a different approach in how they seek out, learn, and and understand the will of God. And I'm not saying that my path needs to be your path, but there seems to be, in Scripture, these components of living in life that is surrendered towards God. Again, I'm not saying, I hope that in hearing that unfold, you just see a glimpse of my story that has been just a rocky road of grace. Um haven't done it all right. Been hasty. I'm the trailblazer guy that's like, somebody's got to do it. Let's go. You know, it's, it's uh, shoot and then aim kind of thing. But God is inviting us into this really good life together. Surrendering to him, seeking him, of knowing him, of learning from him. And in that Life's direction unfolds. And if you face these major decisions, just talk to somebody, pray with somebody, invite others into it. You aren't designed to do this thing alone. And if it makes you feel any better, uh, maybe a story from Tim Keller, and then we'll close. Here's Tim Keller talking about planning a church in New York City in the 80s. So, this is in the middle of the crack epidemic and all of that. How does he know? Somebody asked. He says, I see an opportunity. I don't see anybody else taking the opportunity, but I feel an obligation to come to New York from uh, Virginia. I think it's a good idea. I think God's calling me, but I can't be absolutely sure. I can be sure I must not lie. That's in the Bible. I can be sure that I must not bow down to idols. It's in the Bible. I'm sure of a lot of things that are of God's will, but as far as I know, I won't be sure that I'm called to plan a church until it happens. When people would persist saying, did you have peace about it? I'd reply, no, it was too hard of a decision. It was too scary. But I know this, guidance is as much something God does as it is something he gives. Therefore, I knew that by selling my house and moving up here and signing a three-year lease, that if I failed to plan a church, God was preparing me for something I couldn't envision. And so in both the successes and so-called failures of life, in the joy and also the pain, God is there. And all he's asking is for us to give him another yes, our trust, our heart. And so wisdom and direction is a lifelong pilgrimage. And rather than thinking of life as a fixed point, it's a path. Rather than God giving us exact details, there's a direction. Rather than self-reliance, there's surrender. And so let us pay attention. Where have you been? Where are you? And how are the decisions now shaping the direction from here? Together, let's surrender to Jesus. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for your word and that you have not been silent, that you have given us your word, that you have come to us in the flesh and you invite us to life with you. Would you minister to our hearts? Would you speak to us now? Would you reveal yourself to us yet again simply to take the next step of surrender? In Christ's name we pray, amen.